I just love the worship today. You know, someone once said, a visitor said, you know, this, this church is like the hidden gem in this valley. And I think he was talking about our worship. I mean, we have pretty good preaching, but the worship today was just so beautiful. So thank you, everybody, all the worship team and all the worshipers. Well, I get to preach from the Old Testament today. I love preaching for the Old Testament because the stories are so... There's nothing else like the Old Testament in all of literature. It's just... there's. I think it's the most fascinating piece of literature, just purely from entertainment value. It's the most exciting and memorable stories. You know, you want romance? Well, the story of Ruth and Boaz beats Romeo and Juliet any day. And they don't kill themselves at the end, so that's kind of nice too. Sorry, if you were planning on reading Romeo and Juliet and you didn't know what happens, I just ruined that for you. You want violence? Well, the Old Testament has violence. There's a guy with a really big belly, and he gets stabbed by a sword, and the sword goes all the way in until they can't find the sword anymore. That's pretty good. That's, uh, that's good. I love that. You want humor? Try Elijah making fun of the priests of Baal. Shout louder. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. It's good stuff. You know, there are some parts of the Old Testament that are so shocking, you can't even preach from them. Do you know that? The other day, Bill Johnson was preaching on a chapter in Judges. Judges 19. And I was like, he's preaching from Judges 19? You can't preach from Judges 19. Nobody can preach from Judges 19. It's so bad, he, he couldn't even read it. He, he just summarized what happens. <laughs> then he preached from it without reading it. You know you're in the Old Testament when you can't read the chapter to the church. Okay, well, we're reading from a... It's a part of the Bible that we can actually share with you, so that's good. One of the heroes of the Old Testament, Balaam's talking donkey. No, just kidding. He was too much of a smart donkey to talk about. So, no, we're going to go to uh, the story of Joshua, chapter 1. And so if you want to open there, while you're open to Joshua, chapter 1, I'll give you guys some inf- interesting tidbits about Joshua. His uh, original name, before Moses changed it, was Hosea, which means salvation. And Moses changed it to Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. And, of course, Yeshua is the same name as Jesus was named Yeshua. And somehow in English, there was like a disconnect and Yeshua referring to Joshua turned into Joshua and Yeshua referring to Jesus turned into Jesus. But they're both just the same name. They both mean Yeshua, which means uh, the Lord saves. So Joshua gets to have the same name as the Messiah. Pretty good um, like prefigure of, of who Jesus was and what Jesus would do. Uh, don't you like how back then they would name somebody... Uh, a word that meant something in their own language, like, hey, you know, the Lord saves, dinner's ready, come and wash your hands, or Moses, deliverer, deliverer, you know, do your homework. David, beloved, Sarah, princess, I really like how the names meant something in their own language, and it works really well as long as you do a nice name. Sometimes it was like Ichabod, you know, the glory has departed, go to bed. It's like, eh, that's not very nice. All right, are we ready? Joshua 1. And Moses is speaking to Joshua. Uh, sorry, Moses has just died, actually. And God is speaking to Joshua and preparing him to take over from Moses. So we're going to start with verse 5 of chapter 1. It says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. That you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There's a lot to unpack there. But the first thing, it's hard to miss. How many times did the Lord command Joshua to be strong and courageous? Three times. Did you notice that? Do you think Joshua might have needed to hear that? Now, wait a minute. Wasn't Joshua one of the ones in his youth, one of the 12 spies who was strong and courageous? Remember 40 years earlier? They sent 12 spies into the land and 10 of them came back with a negative report. Oh, there's giants. They have walled cities. They have iron swords. We can't take this land. And Joshua and Caleb were the two that said, yes, the Lord is with us. We can do it. And so here he is 40 years later and he still needs to hear this message from the Lord. Be strong and courageous. I just think that's interesting. It shows you how he had this character, but it was also the way the enemy was trying to attack him was in that place because that was why he was the one who was chosen to replace Moses because he had that but the enemy was going to, going to go after him in that way so what happened 40 years earlier the Israelites listened to the 10 not the 2 and they started wailing they started moaning they started complaining they even threatened to I think this is what, what really did got God mad they threatened to stone Moses and Aaron and then the Lord was about to kill all of them and Moses actually intervened to save their lives And so the Lord said, okay, I'm not going to kill them, but none of them will enter the promised land. And they had to wander for 40 years. No one over 20 years old got to enter the promised land. They all eventually died off, and then the next generation got to go in. But Moses um, and Caleb and Joshua outlive all the rest of them. Moses is like 120 when he dies. Joshua and Caleb must be in their late 60s, 70s, or 80s. And so he's one of the Once Moses died, he's like the oldest person in the whole land. They're all 60 or younger. And so God tells him three times, be strong and courageous. Only be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. And believe it or not, that's not the only repetition here. Did you know the last words of Moses to Joshua before Moses passed away? They're in Deuteronomy 31.6. What did Moses tell Joshua? It says this, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, talking about the Canaanites. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that great that Moses' last words to Joshua were the exact words that God spoke to Joshua? Do you think God was working that out? And then what were the words that the people of Israel, not knowing what Moses had said, not knowing what God had said, the people of Israel, when Joshua took on the mantle of leadership, what did they say to Joshua? You remember? I, get, I bet you can guess. <laughs> this is in verse 18 of chapter 1. Verse 18b, only be strong and courageous. You think Joshua might have been having some doubts about his adequacy for the job that God had for him? In his defense, Moses is a hard act to follow, isn't he? Uh, God had told Moses, this is a crazy verse, he said, I will make you like God to these people. And Joshua had seen what God had done through Moses. The ten terrible, awesome but terrible plagues which humbled Egypt, the mightiest empire on earth at that time. Joshua saw all that. He saw Moses part the Red Sea. God did it, but Moses held the staff. God worked through Moses. He saw water from a rock 
twice, it's a pretty good miracle. And he saw Moses' face, bright, alive with the presence of God all those years. So bright with the presence of God that he had to wear a veil. It's like, if Moses is in the room and you're trying to sleep, like, Moses, can you look the other way? I can't sleep. It's too bright. And all this time, Joshua is just this kind of little assistant. He's kind of the little helper. Now, now Moses is dead. And Joshua is suddenly the father figure for the whole kingdom. And he's, had, he, he's the one that has to lead them into this land with giants, with walled cities, with iron weapons. He has to lead these two million, frankly, rebellious people. And he's feeling a little bit pressure. And God is there with a great message, exactly what he, what he needs to hear. I love reading and seeing God's fatherly care for Joshua at this time. We're seeing, we see God arranging things so that Joshua keeps hearing exactly what he needs to hear from three different sources over and over again. And God was there. You know, like I said, Joshua is now the oldest person in the kingdom. There's no other father figure alive for Joshua to look up to. He just lost Moses. He'd been a father figure to him for all those years. And now it's just him. There's nobody else. And they're all looking to him to be the father figure. And he didn't have a father figure to look up to, but he had God. And God was there to show care for him, to take care of him, to tell him what he needed to hear. And, you know, no matter how old we are, we need a father figure in our life. And God wants to be that for you. I don't care if you're 100 years old. You need someone caring for you in that way. And God wants to be that for us. Amen? Amen. The same care he showed for Joshua, he's showing for you. And speaking of lost generations, this generation today, young people today, are are aching for a loving father. And God's heart is aching to be that loving father for this generation. If only people would turn to him and let him do that. Part of our job is to help young people today find God and find that father figure in him. And he wants to use us to do that. Let me ask you this. Kind of a silly question, kind of a stupid question. This is the sort of question you get when I'm preaching. If God tells you to put bulletproof glass on the south side of your house because an attack is coming, which side of the house do you think the attack will come? The south side, right? You know, a word from God is an indication of how the enemy will be attacking. Reading between the lines for Joshua, I'm guessing the plan is, from the other side, to tempt him toward the opposite of being strong and courageous. Tempt him towards being weak and fearful. And so God is ready with the message that he needs to hear to counteract the way the enemy was going to come at Joshua. If the enemy could come at Joshua in that way and get him to do what the Israelites had done the last generation, hold back, they would never enter the promised land. And then you never have the unfolding of history. The devil is trying to stop. Ultimately, it's it's about stopping Jesus from getting here. And so he's he's coming at the Jews to try to stop that. That's why he tried to have uh, the king of Persia kill all the Jews during the time of Esther. He's always trying to wipe out the Jews because he's fighting God. And so he's coming at Joshua with this, be weak, be afraid. And so God's message to him was exactly what he needed to hear to counteract the enemy's attack. God's words were there to speak life and freedom while the enemy was trying to speak death and, and enslavement. And God's words to us do that. They, they lead to life and they lead to freedom. So pay attention to your words from God. You know, it's not a sin to be tempted by fear. Joshua is clearly being tempted by fear. Temptation isn't sin. Giving in is sin. And there are two ways in which fear can be overcome. So I call this message freedom from fear. I want to talk about the first way, and uh, this I think is most common, and that is to feel afraid, but to go ahead anyway. So you feel the fear, but you go ahead anyway. 
And, uh, you know, a person can feel afraid and yet go on, move forward. And that can sometimes make the difference between a hero and a coward. A coward feels afraid and shrinks back from the fight. I can't do that. No. But the hero feels afraid but moves forward anyway. And many times when you study battle or war, and it doesn't matter what war. It could be the Civil War. It could be World War II. You hear the veterans talking about their experiences after the fact. And they'll say, anyone who was there who tells you they weren't afraid is lying. Because we were all afraid. And no one's going to judge a soldier for being afraid before a battle. But when it comes to a spiritual fight, there's another way to overcome fear, which is even better. Even better than feeling the fear but moving forward is this, not to be afraid in the first place. You notice God's repeated message to Joshua isn't, now Josh, when you feel afraid, don't give up. He said, be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. God is concerned for his state of being. Jesus and his disciples, do not let your heart be troubled. All of these commands are directed not at Joshua's actions, not at your actions, but at the state of his heart, at the state of your heart. You might say, but God, it's one thing for you to tell me not to be a coward, not to give in to fear. With your help, I can do that much. But how can you tell me not even to let myself feel fear in the first place? That's not really a choice I can make, Lord. That's just something that happens to you when you're in a tough spot. Well, hmm, let's think about that. While we're thinking about that, I want to see if we can learn anything about that from Joshua's life. Did Joshua manage to live a life not only free from cowardice, but even from feeling any fear at all? Well, we have the whole book of Joshua to look at. And if you read the book, you see he did pretty good. Under Joshua, the Israelites conquered like 30 evil kings. Pretty good. They went from battle to battle, this king, then this king, then this king. And this battle, this city, it goes on. The southern kingdoms, then the northern kingdoms, constant warfare. And this guy is like 70, 80, constantly leading them in battle. And they never, you never hear Joshua described as being afraid, except for in one place. He seems like he's pretty scared, which we'll get to. But was it all smooth sailing in the book of Joshua? It wasn't, was it? Why? Because they sinned, of course. And so what happened in the story of Jericho? It's going so well. Everything's going perfectly. And then God told them, okay, I've destroyed the city. Don't take anything from it. It's all to be burned. And this guy came along named Achan. He's appropriately named because he was Achan for punishment. So Achan uh, decides, you know what? That's some good-looking silver there in that rubble. I think I'll take that silver and put it in my pocket. And I'll bury it in the ground by my tent. Maybe dig it up a year or two. Nobody will be the wiser. Then I'll have this nice silver. Cool. What could go wrong, right? What could go wrong? Well, the next battle, like a bunch of Israelites died and they wonder, how could God have let this happen? And they figure out it's because Achan sinned. And then they, tr- they trace it back to him. But what did Joshua do when he found out that they lost the next battle? Was he strong and courageous then? Well, let's see. This is uh, Joshua 7. It says this. He tore his clothes and fell on the ground face down. Verse 7, it says, okay, this is Joshua talking. While he's talking, remember, you have to, you have to get the whole picture here. He's face down in the dirt. He's lying flat on his stomach. He's, he's, he's face down in the dirt, okay? Here he is. Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this, peop, this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? 
What is he doing there? Blaming God. Why, Lord, did you do this? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. What, in the wilderness? In the desert? That's what you wanted? Just because of one little setback? You know, the enemy loves to try to take back what God is giving us. He can't stop God from giving you good things, but he can try to get you to give it back. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. God gave them the garden, they gave it back. That's what the enemy wants to do. And that's what sin is. It's giving to the devil. So don't sin. Amen? (laughs) And then, here's what happens though. This is, to me, I think, one of the worst things about this. Once the consequences of our actions are felt, then what do we do? Or what does the devil want to tempt us to do? Blame God. Why did you let this happen, Lord? What are you doing? And he goes on, O Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. That doesn't sound like faith to me. He's, he's talking into the dirt the whole time. That's the best part of this. Is he being strong and courageous here? Not really. I love God's reaction. You know, sometimes God killed people in the Old Testament for, for complaining. I kind of get nervous when I read this about, about Joshua blaming God and, bl- and complaining. But when you're like, oh, we're all going to die, Lord. This is your fault. It, sometimes God gets really mad about that. But God's reaction here is great. Verse 10. Stand up. What are you doing on your face? <laughs> Get up. Be a man. In fact, I think there's one translation that says, be a man. Uh, And then God goes on to explain to him how to deal with Achan, how to take the city, and they go on from there. So God was very gracious to Joshua because he knew his heart was to repent and come back to him. You see that with his reaction to David's sin. He knew he was going to repent and come back to him. With Saul, he knew he was never going to repent. And so it was like, well, I reject you as king. So he's very gracious when he knows you made a mistake, but that's not who you really are. You're going to come back to me. And he gives us lots of chances, doesn't he? Keep trying. When we do give in to fear, repent, let God pick you up, dust you off, and then keep trying, right? My friends, God is so concerned about you. He's so concerned about you that he wants you to be free of fear's grip. Not just in your actions, but in your thoughts and in your emotions. When he says free, he means free. I know that's really complicated, I know that's really like uh, blows your mind. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Not kind of free, not sort of free, not sometimes free. It just means free. That's all it means. Free means free. All day long. long. Amen. So how is this possible to be completely free of fear? Because as far as I know, nobody wants to be afraid. Does anybody want to raise your hand and say, yeah, I want to be afraid of man. I want to be afraid of circumstances. Nobody? I didn't think anybody, nobody wants to be afraid. So what are we supposed to do with this when God says, don't even be afraid? You don't have to turn there, but remember in Matthew what tripped up Peter when he was having a great time walking on the water. What happened that tripped up that little adventure? Remember the disciples were on the boat and Jesus starts walking out to them and they don't recognize, they think it's a ghost and they do one of their little freak outs. And then, and then Jesus says to me, you know, and Peter's like, well, if it's you, let me walk out to you. And Jesus says, yeah, come on, the water's fine. And so Peter starts walking out, and at first it's going really well, you know, like, whoa, this is awesome. Look, Mom, I'm walking on water. Kind of like me the other month, I was ice skating with the teenagers, 
And at first I was just holding on to the rail and like, and the teen, teens are just like skating by me backwards and on their phones and doing little twirls and I'm like, but pretty soon I let go and I was doing, I was doing great. I was like, look mom, I'm skating. She wasn't there. But then the enemy attacked and I fell down and slid and <clears throat> it's been a long time since I've crawled, but I had to crawl to get to the edge. And I look up, I hear this laughing, and I look up, and Sean Green is filming me. So this is Peter. What happened to make Peter fall? Let's see, I have it written down here somewhere. Matthew fourteen thirty. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. So what precipitated the fear in that section? What was he looking at? Yeah. One minute you're looking at Jesus... You're really excited. Then you're looking at the wind and waves and suddenly you're afraid and sinking. So often, our focus determines our feelings. So often. Who am I kidding? Always, our focus determines our feelings. But I can't choose my feelings. You can choose your focus. Frankly, I think you can choose your feelings too, but I'm not even saying that. You can choose your focus for sure. What was Joshua supposed to be focusing on? That's really what I'm getting at today. Did anybody catch this in the passage? There's something very clear. He's supposed to be focusing on something. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may achieve success wherever you go. doesn't even say, so that I can give you success. It says, so that you can achieve success. That's, that, that's, that's really interesting. Verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will achieve success. Do you want to be prosperous and successful? What are we supposed to do? Do you want to be free from fear? What are we supposed to do? Here's God to Joshua, and here's God to us. I am giving you the promised land, but obey my commands. I'm going to give you success wherever you go, but meditate on my law. I will prosper you whatever you do, only do not let my law depart from your lips. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua here is the recipient of extravagant promises. But in every case, the promises are linked to total surrender. You are the recipient of even greater promises. Joshua didn't have the New Testament. This poor guy has to meditate on the first five books of the Bible. That's all he has. There's not even the Psalms yet. Have you read Leviticus lately? Do you want to meditate on numbers? You have Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. If meditating on the law of Moses can defeat giants and bring down walled cities... What can you do? In the natural world, surrender is the opposite of victory. You surrender when you lose a war, don't you? They surrender to the victor when they lose. Surrender means defeat. But in the kingdom, surrender to God means victory. Either we surrender to God and gain victory over everything else, or we, ref- we refuse to surrender to God and everything else gains victory over us. The attempt to master this life while rejecting God is futile. 
as everyone who has tried it eventually learns. Some people in this room have tried it. Some of you are trying it now. It's not going to work. The rebelliousness that can master the human heart. Do you know what it is? I like to know what things are in their deepest self. Samuel told Saul, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. That's crazy to think about. He's not talking necessarily about spells and potions and magic wands. But the heart of witchcraft is trying to make yourself God. Trying to control things yourself. Not in submission to him, but through your own actions. So at its deepest level, these twin, I call them twins, rebellion and witchcraft, their deepest level is pride, which is what the enemy tripped up on at the very beginning. And they lead to enslavement. Surrender leads to victory. So the deepest roots of things are so interesting to me. What is the deepest root of surrender? It's loving God wholeheartedly. That's That's the number one commandment. Love God wholeheartedly. That's what it is in its truest form. That doesn't sound that bad, does it? What surrender looks like in terms of your practical application for your life is simply this, walking with God, abiding with God. Does that sound so hard? It's actually kind of good, isn't it? Yeah, we can do that. We see here in Joshua 1, that's what he's being called to do. He's being called to walk with God all day, every day. And it's from that place of abiding that all his effectiveness will flow. Does that sound familiar? Abiding leads to effectiveness. Some of you are thinking of John 15, 5, which I will now read. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. We don't want that. That doesn't sound good. We're going to remain in him, aren't we? Someone might say, but who has time to read the Bible day and night? Yeah, I agree. Nobody has time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that, right? That's what they say. Not even Joshua has time for that, in fact. He still has to fight the Battle of Jericho, a bunch of other battles. God wasn't calling Joshua to have a scroll in one hand and a sword in the other, trying to fight the Canaanites while he's reading from Genesis. It's not, it's not, that's not practical. So what is he actually calling Joshua to do? Well, one thing, we do have time to read the Bible some every day. I'm sorry, you do. Don't, don't say you don't. I know you have busy lives. You do. If you have to give up brushing your teeth and taking a shower, do that. But read your Bible. I brush my teeth every Monday whether I need it or not. It doesn't take over my Bible reading. Get your priorities straight. You know, there are 24 hours in a day. You can read the Bible a little bit every day. But what does it mean to meditate day and night? Because it doesn't say read day and night. It says meditate day and night. There's a big difference there. Meditate. People hear the word meditate and they, they kind of get nervous. Like, what are you trying, trying to tell me to sit there and cross my legs on the floor wearing nothing but a towel and go, um, no, wrong religion. Meditating on the Bible is different for every person. It could be for you. It might be you read the Bible a little in the morning and then throughout the day when, when there's nothing going on in your brain, you savor something from scripture. You, you know, you might have a minute to spare. Thank you, Lord, for that message. Thank you for that example. Thank you for what this means in my current situation. You just savor it, you know? I think the word meditate is actually linked to what cows do with grass, chewing over it, you know, ruminating. You're just kind of, I like to say savoring because that's a little bit better. Okay. It might mean you have a question. I think God made the Bible just past 
most of our comprehension because that's what they say really pushes you to learn better if it's not too hard but just beyond. And so, God, what did that mean? Oh, thank you. And then the answer flows over you over time. He loves, the reason he made it just, just a little bit beyond us is so he could explain to us. He wants to talk to you about what you've read throughout the day. That's another example. Each person is different. Your way of meditating on the word will be for you. But for all of us, whoever you are, it always means the Bible, the word defines your reality. Meditating on the word always means his word defines your reality. Even more than your experience. That's a big one. Even more than, oh no, don't say it. Yes, I'm going to say it. Even more than what your eyes see. But what my eyes see is so real. Nah. What he says is more real. As a great theologian once said, your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. I won't tell you who said that because some of you might find it distracting. If you know, you know. Oh, how did that get up there? Sorry. Let's move on to the Bible. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. In the NKJV, I like this. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The word for strong there or strengthen is the same word God uses for, uh, to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Notice here in this psalm, what goes hand in hand with strength? Waiting on the Lord. The word wait here is sometimes translated as hope because it has to do with the uh, expectation of something good while you wait. Like you've, you've called an Uber Eats driver and you're waiting with expectation something good is going to happen. And in the Bible, strength and courage are always tied to the present. So when you meditate on God's word, you are becoming strong and courageous. Did you know that? You're meditating on his word, but something's happening inside you. You are becoming strong and courageous as you meditate because you're fellowshipping with the one who is, who is strength and who is courage. When you meditate on God's word, you are becoming hopeful and joyful. Problems that seemed insurmountable start looking like nothing to worry about. I really like that part of it. And giants start looking like grasshoppers. So did you know you're always moving in one direction or the other? So Someone back there knows. I have to tell you. So I have to say, the opposite of what I just said is also true. When we meditate on the flesh, we become weaker, less courageous, despairing, joyless. Mere men start looking like giants. And we all know when when we're not meditating on the word. Planning a willful sin, judging someone in your heart, holding on to unforgiveness, dwelling on fears, dwelling on our faults, someone else's faults, complaining to God, doubting his promises. Those are all forms of meditation too. You're just meditating on the wrong voice. You don't want to listen to that voice. That voice is trying to kill you. Only in meditating on God's word do we find life. I have a quick story from Sean Green who's now going to run up here. He's going to do a cartwheel right here. Uh, Sean recently faced a crucial test in his life. I'm going to let him explain about that. And because Sean's life is so filled with the word of God that the Lord was able to help him pass that test. And so, Sean, would you come up and tell us how you were tested and, and what happened with that? Yeah, and I'm definitely not cartwheeling either. Oh, okay. And for the record, the video that he claims I have, it, God protected him. It didn't start recording until he'd already stood up. So <laughs> all the texts I've already got to see the video, it's not there. So 
most of you know I'm an insurance agent. I'm my own, in by myself. Nobody else is watching. And a couple weeks ago, this guy walks in. I don't get very many walk-ins. And sits down and says, hey, I need to get some auto insurance. Give me a quote. You know, standard practice. Okay. I said, well, who are you insured with now? He goes, well, I'm not, but I used to be an insurance agent. Okay, good for you. It's, I'm not sure why you're telling me that. And he's like, so all you got to do is just put in that I have previous insurance and I'll get the better rate. And I looked at him and he said, but I got tons of referrals, so don't worry about it. It's just a single car. And I'm like, you know, I really, I can't do that. I'm sorry. You know, I know somebody can probably help you. You can come back. No, no, I'll show you how to do it. It's a single car. You won't get caught by underwriting. You'll be fine. And I'll get you a ton of referrals out of this. I know a ton of people in this valley. And I'm like, you know, I hate to tell you, but I just, I'm not going to be able to do that. And he goes, no, no, I'll show you. Don't worry about it. You'll never get caught. And I said, well, besides the fact that that jeopardizes my license, my agency, I'm a Christian. So I have God watching me. You know, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to help you with that. Let me, you know, get you the name and number of somebody that can. And he goes, good answer. You passed. And I stared at him. I said, excuse me? (laughs) Like, what? And he flips out a business card and he says, I'm from the home office. We're running around testing agents to look for stuff like this right now. And you do understand what could happen if you had said yes. And I go, yeah, it's a mini zero fine. I lose my agency. I lose my license. I lose all of it. He goes, so good job. I'll let your manager know you're doing good things here. Just walks out. Sean fills his life with the word of God, and when the time of testing came, he was ready. And he still has a job now because of that. Thank you, Lord. We're talking about finding life through meditating on the word. And so I want you to notice something about what we read in Joshua, about the promises to Joshua and the children of Israel here. The first thing, they've been given the land, but they don't see it until they step in and take it. It doesn't look like it's been given. The cities are still there. The gigantic men with swords are still there. God says, I've given you the land, but you don't see that you've been given the land until you step in and actually go take it. And two, they've been given the land, but it is within their power to give it back. Like I said, the enemy can't stop God from giving you something, but he can try to get you to give it right back. They can give it back through, and God warned them about this, disobedience. And in fact, in the time of Jeremiah, it's like 800 years later, They gave it back, and they lost it for 70 years. And the only people who got to come back after that 70 years was a tiny remnant. And so they did get it, but they did eventually give it back. So the lesson we can learn from this about the promises of God for us, everything is open to you. Every promise we find in Scripture is yours. Today we sang, every promise of God is yes and amen. But... We will have to overcome fear of man on the way. You will have to step forward even though there appear to be giants in your path. It's given to you, but it might not look like it. And you will have to meditate on God's word to fully step into what God has for you. But it's going to be good. Some of you are already living that way, and are you enjoying it? You are. And those of you who aren't living that way, I'm guessing you aren't enjoying that too. So let's start living that way. We're going to meditate on God's word day and night. And we're going to let his presence. This is just walking with God. It's fun. It's what we were made for. Okay? Amen. I'm just going to pray for us now then that we're going to do this. Be ready to receive this, okay? 
Thank you, Jesus, for what you have for us. Thank you for your promises. Thank you that every promise from you is yes and amen. And you have promises for us. You have a promised land for us. You have giants that we get to defeat and we get to overcome. And like Joshua, at the end of our days, it's going to say, you're going to say over us, like you said over Joshua, he or she fulfilled God's purpose for their life. You will fulfill your purpose for our lives. And it's going to be so good. We're going to be able to look back and say, yes, I fulfilled God's purpose in my life. And it's going to be because we meditated on your word. And so I pray for each person here. Give us good habits of Bible reading. I like to read in the morning, but if they want to read at night, that's a little weird, but let them do that too. Let them read your Bible every day and then let them meditate throughout the day on on your voice, on your message, on your truth, on your spirit. I pray for a breakthrough for each person here who needs to do that. Get out of your soul. It's not a safe place to be. Get out of your soul and get into the Word. In your soul, there's always the serpent in the tree whispering. In the Word, it's the voice of God. Get out of your soul and get into the Word. You, yes, you. Get out of your soul and get into the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Lots to meditate on from the word in that message. Thank you, David. Let's stand up. I want to invite you once again to stay after if you'd like to for the prophetic team to minister. We also will have over on this side, um, there will be healing prayer for anyone that would like physical healing prayer or a miracle released in any area of your life. We're on this side. I want to especially note that we didn't give, we didn't highlight anything from news and notes uh, for the church for this week, but there are important things to note there. Especially want to say that 71 Youth 5, a multi church uh, outreach to young people, has a, a special event tonight at 5. Uh, and you can get the information from Pastor Dan's news and notes at, at uh, newsongmedford.com or on the New Song Church Facebook page. So I just want to uh, reaffirm to all of us that there is a rhema word, a, a, a current word that's given. I love it that both the prophetic words this morning called us to courage. Did you note that? And then David's word was call to courage. And uh, let's get after that, okay? Let's get after that courage factor, okay? With joy, with blessing. God loves you. We love you. He's for you. It's all going to be good. You just stay the course. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Thank you for being with us today. Amen. Amen.